0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Cheslin Pierre-Paul about the role of anti-oppression and decoloniality in leadership and social transformation work. Cheslin Pierre-Paul, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you today. I'm super excited to have this conversation. Today, we're going to be focusing on the role of anti-oppression and decoloniality in leadership and social transformational work. Uh, that's a mouthful, I know, uh, but it's really, really important. You're going to help us dive into that and dissect it and understand what that all means and what we can do as leaders to be more effective in relation to these topics. As we get started, I wanted to share Cheslin's bio with everybody. Cheslin Pierre-Paul is Querio of Cheslin Inc., a global digital transformation coaching and social impact Consulting company, they empower world leaders and organizations to deploy a high level of global thought leadership that centers anti-oppression and coloniality as its accelerating force of innovational intelligence, industrial advancement, and global impact. I love it. Uh, anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background before we dive on in uh, further?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, what can I say? I really love looking at global impact from a different kind of stance and understand that you know grounding activism as part of um a holistic organizational development strategy for any big company or brand you know also carries a very direct economic uh, impact component on top of all the other of benefits and i'm really happy to look into today so for me it's just you know looking at things that we don't necessarily correlate with one another activism entrepreneurship um, international development and global impact and look at the beautiful um, opportunities for synchronicity that you know, okay between all of those different elements. And my background, you know, is very diverse as well, which allows me to have that stance, but from schooled in languages, if you would believe that, a little bit of a law school. And then we're here looking at social um, entrepreneurship and having those different experiences in my career narrative also empowered me to decolonize those spaces and to come from a very different, you know, perspective because I wasn't conditioned by the typical background for that. And I see a lot of enrichment when we turn to, um, people, stories, voices, um, and spaces that are not fitting of the typical archetype of an expectation that we have had for them. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for that. And so I'm curious, you know, all this work that you do with your firm, um, if you can describe a little bit first for us, maybe provide some definitions. Uh, some listeners probably are familiar with these terms, others are not. Um, but anti-oppression, Decoloniality. Um, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean to decolonize? Um, you know, in our leadership approach and our social transformation work.
1: Hundred percent. Yeah. Thank you for leading with that. Um, to break it down a bit further. So, my firm specializes in a twofold of services. On one hand, I have um, the global impact consulting, so working with global companies, and level executives, empower them under you know um, thought uh, leadership on one level and also looking at other elements that their organizations are facing where they want to scale into new markets or they want to revisit certain strategies that they had and particularly looking at the focus of international development work and business development. So that would be one thing. Then conversely, when it comes down to my one-on-one transformation coaching, I work with individuals that are also, you know, civil executives or also they may have carry different, you know, profiles and portfolios working professionals And basically, depending on what the ask is, a lot of them, they want to get to the next level of elevation in their career, and they're looking at, you know, language blocks. So let's say you're a French speaker and English speaker, and you want to work with this global organization, you want to be able to land different kind of, you know, international assignments, opportunities, or things of that nature, really having a higher level capacity for advancement in your work, I help them overcome that, and then we create this blueprint for their success. And some other people come at it from a non-professional um, you know, experience and just wanted to create a life that they love and like, and they have a lot of fizziness around how to get there. Um, and so we will look at how you get to create a life in a business and career that you love. And so those would be like the three pillars, if you may, and what it means in practice, you know, when I talk about decolonial, decoloniality, decolonization, anti-oppression, all of those different experiences. So when you are, let's say a company, a different size company, and you're looking at, you know, your scaling strategy, where to go next, how to further develop. My interest is, you know, looking at where the people that you're continuously alienating right now through the current organizational setup that you have. And how do I do that, right? When it comes to decolonization, it's looking at all the voices that are being silenced, invisibilized, erased, or denied. And we don't do that necessarily consciously. So that's why we talk about systemic oppression. When you look at your core leadership structure membership are you all healing from the same profiles and when we scale diversity across a different spectrum it also encompasses race gender um but also your your field uh, the training the languages that you speak and so it's so much more holistic than looking at a tokenistic checklist of oh you fill that bill it's how you think how you function who you relate to um and also the kind of um let's say strategies that you guys implement if you are, you know, in a sea of sameness, it means that in terms of your innovational, um, you know, capacity to develop intelligence, you're challenged because you are recycling the same ideas, the same um, leadership structure, and that will inhibit you in how you get to expand beyond the bounds of your own normative system. And so when I come in, I look at domestically clean abroad you know, um, where are the people that are sitting right in front of you in your brand, but because of language, you're missing out on an opportunity to relate to them. So that's a big part of, of the work that I do. So let's say you're located in the States, depending on what your demographics are, maybe you have a lot more, you know, non-English speaking clients or potential clients rather, but because your strategies are only geared towards a certain core demographics, all of those people, you know, they're completely alienated from your services they could offer and your impact is medicated. So the, the work that I love doing is you are basically just releveraging the core assets that you already have as a business, be it services or products, but now you're opening up this bigger gamut for you to tap into new uh, market shares that can be domestic and you know, um, international all at the same time. So that's a big part of how I do this because automatically new people, new faces, new narratives, new voices... And the way that your team would also be compositionally diverse will empower you to be able to better rel- relate to those bigger um, you know trading opportunities and even studies shows that when you have one person you know that interrupts the narrative of seeing this so one person that is diverse in your team then up to 150 percent capability for you to increase you know, brand recognition um, you know integrate new clients into um, your own targeted demographics and the list goes on and on and so I'm um, invested in incremental shifts. In, in your modes of operation for you to be able to re-leverage your core assets, to be more uh, internationally competitive in the work that you do, and also generate a higher capacity for impact through your services and your products. And what I love doing is looking at activism as a form of impact and how that also carries itself into um, how you revenue gains and economic impact strategically, so wealth and abundance. Um, through that line. So that would be one technical um, aspect of how you get there. And decolonization is interrupting the narrative of what you've been conditioned to do, who we're conditioned to seeing. And when you also have that at the top leadership level of decision-making, everything else becomes revisited and you're tapping into new trading opportunities, um, relating to new clients, being able to broker more complex international deal opportunities and things of that nature. So for me, it's interesting to challenge the notion that diversity is a gimmick, that diversity is a trend, that diversity is not an economically sound decision. And so by coming at it from the perspective of activism as social preneurship, you disrupt all those narratives and you become more empowered in what you do and also the impact that you generate from a transformational, um, you know, socially transformational perspective.
0: I love it. Uh, so much wonderful, um content there that you just provided so so many great uh, explanations and descriptions and one of the things that you said that just really struck me um is, is the systemic oppression that we see now is it because we're all walking around and we're all bigots and racists overtly no um though that those certainly exist mm-hmm. um but you know there's implicit biases certainly but even beyond the implicit biases that we ha- may have there, there's the systems and the structures that reinforce and perpetuate unhealthy systems that right. that keep the marginalized marginalized and uh, the underprivileged underprivileged. And so, you know, a lot of what you're discussing is about how do we dismantle that, right? How do we how do we um, you know not have diversity, equity, and inclusion as just like this nice rhetoric that we use because everyone else is using it. And we need to say you know the good things. But how do we, and it's not just a checkbox, but how do we actually start to tackle it uh, and embed it in our culture of the organization? And that starts with the systemic issues uh, that may be at play within our organization. And changing systems is hard uh, and it takes time and it takes concerted, sustained effort over a long period of time. And so, you know, when you talk about how this all connects in with leadership and social transformation work, uh, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, if we want to transform societies and communities and, and change the world, um, then we, we have to play the long game. We have to be committed to it. And if we want to lead successful teams that in psychologically and, and uh, physically, emotionally safe environments uh, where DE&I efforts are truly valued and, and integrated into the daily living uh, and the daily work experience of our people, um, that, that is going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to take concerted attention, uh, and sustainable energy. And if we don't do that, uh, then we're largely only checking the box and giving lip service to it.
1: Exactly. And even as you're talking and sharing, when we think of a systemic reality, right? So it's to see that a systemic world also demands systemic countermeasures, and we cannot expect that one shift in a corporate mandate will truly transcend you know biases and and structuralities that are very much ingrained organizationally so an example i give people is in regards to you know hiring diversely which is a big prominent um element that people tend to overemphasize to kind of negate more systemic realities surrounding that but if you think about it people like myself whose parents and ancestors and four parents were slaves we don't have the same capacity to generate intergenerational wealth And that also translates in economic and educational opportunities. So if your screening process only encompasses a very high level privilege education wise that looks and behaves like your norm, you're automatically precluding a lot of incredible humans that for reasons pertaining to a systemic reality cannot comply to that. So different is not worse or better, it's to see that it forces you to challenge what you look to as valid, as legitimate, and as convenient for you and your brand. And so when you challenge even the way that you go out and you screen uh, applicants or candidates for different vacancies, it becomes, are you saying that you're diverse but you're expecting your same old infrastructure to generate the opposite of what they were designed for? So that's one thing. Then the other thing is, let's say you finally get your quote unquote um, diversity hires. If they're coming into a world that, again, is conditioned as per the pre-established agenda, then the onus of transformation is on them and it's not properly equalized within the infrastructure. So in terms of your capacity to have retention sustainably in regards to people that don't fit the mold, you are already compromising yourself and your organizational efforts.
0: and explore those ordinary everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations.
1: So the whole thing is before you know you, you go out and ask people that are um, typically ostracized and marginalized and disenfranchised. regards to the top leadership position you have to also investigate internally what is your capacity to self-generate first and foremost environment that not only entices but also makes it perennial and sustainable for different voices to be um you know holistically onboarded and integrated within your ecosystem so it's not looking for the one way um you know end all be all kind of salvation but it's truly reinvestigating your own processes and there's always a direct correlation of economic impact and social transformation. Any time we lean into those processes from a place of commitment and pure intentionality, and so that's where I come in. Because when we look at how we function, we are not the best judges of our own internalized biases. And expecting yourself to be part of an answer that you didn't know there used to be a question for—it's also a very preposterous way of setting yourself up for failure. And so what I find very interesting is coming in and asking people, what do you think, you know, your biases or your, you know, organizational hurdles, let them talk. And then I come in and I supplement that with my own perspective that allows them to further decolonize their stance, um, positionality, and to start with the acknowledgement of the structural deficiencies that are set up. And it's not an indictment against them. It's just, um, you know, forcibly... Holding in, in in centrality, the recognition of the fact that we don't come into neutral infrastructures. And from that acknowledgement comes empowerment because now I know what I am, you know, operationally vying against. And now I'm also in a better position to re-leverage my assets, a wherewithal, knowledge, intelligence, and leadership to then elevate and transcend that. What is beautiful, particularly in this point in time, is that I'm thinking of blue oceans versus red oceans, right? So this beautiful book. And the idea is that, basically, when you act and think different and innovationally as a leader, you also make competition irrelevant. So what if you become the only one? Either you're the first, the only one, or ideally both, that does what you do from that differently oriented perspective. It allows you to also gain different authority, to be an industry maven, to generate impact beyond your organization, uh, organization, to also relate to unlikely allies, unlikely partners. And to be able to have a sustainably internalized culture that is primed for innovation. And so that's how I come at it. It's not a concession. It's elevation to what you have because new voices help you challenge things that kept you you know, operational and maybe be very efficient, but at a different level, a scope of work that is much more reduced and compromised. When I come in and I speak five different languages, I'm working with me five international markets right there. So every time you alienate me because I don't fit the bill, you're alienating your capacity as a brand to expand further um, and from a place of innovation as well. I carry different legacies, knowledges, intelligence that can also be part of service of the kind of impact that we choose to go um, creationally generate. And so for me, it's looking at the slew of benefits that come from that. And so it's looking at the small term interruption in your norm that may look like inconvenience but also translates itself as transformation. And so, are we willing to be disrupted today for you to become a disruptor tomorrow? Is the bigger question here.
0: I love it, and and disruptions necessary when we're talking about uh, oppressive systems that need to be um, upset and and reshaped, and and in some cases completely dismantled and then rebuilt. Uh, so all of that's wonderful. And I know one of the things you talk about is rebellious leadership. And I suppose um, in part, you know, the idea of being rebellious. Um, goes hand in hand with dismantling and disrupting, right? Uh, But tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that. Why is rebellious leadership important?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, and I really love, again, this kind of dichotomy that we have in in leading as a rebellious um, human. The notion is, if you become too fluent in the language of the status quo, you're always going to be normal compliant, but you won't be the person who leads, um, and so you would be part of the followership and not part of the leadership. And it means that taking risk and daring to be an alternative to the system uh, to be unrecognizable um, to the standards of the norms that are pre-established, there's a risk in that. But there's a greater risk, in my opinion, when you are so norm compliant, you create your own invisibility as a brand. And the only distinction with you and is your messaging, but not in the holistic approach to your delivery of services through a differently-oriented leadership. When you dare to be whole, different, anti-normative, you ensure a legacy of continuity for you to always be recognizable very quickly and for you to stand on your own in your own category of impact. And so the rebellious element is what are things that are not expected for you to do in the position that you are are and the organization that you serve. And out of all those things lies a big potential that is untapped that has to do with your capacity to be innovationally relevant, to be industry making, um, and to be a leader um, and a, a titan and captain of industry, right? And so for me, it's looking at that: what are the things that I do that allow me to stand out on my own, where there's the risk of exposure, but also, you know, the power of visibility. So it's always a duality of things that you gain um, as you risk. And for me, it's the relevance of impact. And you know, BTG was talking about this in an interview. I don't want security of the norm. I want a moment in history. And with that comes a different kind of onus and you behave um, differently, divergently. So when you come and you're a speaker at an event or you come to your board with a different kind of project, um, it's asking yourself, am I leveraging this opportunity as a moment in history? Am I trying to fade away into a sentiment of security that's not security? It just means I am quickly replaceable. And the rebellious leadership part for me is sitting with those questions long enough that I can create this holistic systemic approach because a one-way solution won't make it. It's not sustainable. And it would would, be compromised in its capacity to generate full impact because we're dealing with systems. So I sit with this. And in the same way that recently I, I had my international summit, I took a minute to really compositionally put something together that was very systemically divergent and didn't look or behave like anything I knew. So I had different leaders of industries coming in international. We had that event in nine to 11 different languages. I was speaking about five of those. Um, And I'm looking at how when we decolonize and we sit down to properly decolonize the work that you do, you are innovationally self-aware, more potent, um, relevant, even necessary for your world and for your field. You leverage a different capacity for impact while also respecting your own capacity. And so I wanted to show people that it's feasible, that it's scalable, that it's sustainable, and you don't need to be a self identified decolonialist activist or what have you for you to have a say in this progress and uh, the process and also to be empowered by those conversations. And I wanted to look at it tactically, but also on a meta level, then to look at how the two um, behave synchronously to help us produce you know, long-term strategic planning decision and also leadership-making structures. And so the whole idea is, do you want to want a history? How do you want to ensure that you and your work are necessary rather than optional or a nice to have and also replaceable? So for me, it goes without saying that they have to, there, there is to be some relevant to rebelliousness. If you're not rebellious, you're invisible or you are invisibilizing of yourself. If not, you are optional, you're not necessary. And those are not the kind of things that I choose to be. So there's something unique about your voice and your platform but there's a big push towards assimilating ourselves within the pre-existing structures of what a leader ought to be, of how an organization ought to function. But when you think about it, the norms that we use today as constraints, originally they came from people who dared to be the shift and to dare to be the face of innovation, even though it came at great peril and risk. And so it's interesting how intergenerationally we used previous innovation as a constraint for the new generations. And the question is, when you come into a room, um, do you define what is impossible instead of saying impossible? Is it inconvenient? Um, instead of saying is it tough, is it to say that it's non-conforming, right? So also changing the vocabulary of how you feel your way through your own disruption as a leader. And as I said, ultimately, if you're not unsettling yourself in your role as a servant leader, then you're not serving and you're not leading.
0: This has just been a fascinating conversation. So much to think about and digest Thank you for all of your insights. I'm noting the time. I need to let you go here in just a few minutes. But before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your team, your work, your consulting, your summit, uh, anything else like that that you would like to share. And then give us the final word on the topic for today.
1: Amazing. So I would just say, you know, um, just reach out to me. You can connect with me on my website. So it's um, cheslin.com, C-H-E-S-L-I-N-E.com. And you can also connect with me on Instagram. So it's my name, Sheslin. I'm the only one with that name on any platform. So that's a benefit. And honestly, just come to me from a place of curiosity or an ask or a concern, or think about areas of growth that you will have to be supported in. Because I do think divergently, I can also quickly operationalize the method and a solution for you. And then we can have a strategy call together. So I would just keep it open so that you don't self-select out of this by thinking, "Mm, I don't think that, you know, I would be a good candidate, but truly come whether with questions and concerns and that's typically how it goes. And then we create something very customized and holistic to you. So I would say my platform, C H E S L I N E.com. And then Instagram, Chesslyn PP. um, And that would be a great place to connect. And in regards to how we may close the loop, uh, close the space today, um, I guess we can kind of you know, branch off of the last uh, comments, which is about how often as a leader do you seek your own, um, your own unsettling, seek your own disruption? How often are you interrupted in your own patterns of what makes you feel safe, makes you feel in control of the space? And Lizanne Coles talks about you know, living a life that is so unrecognizable, that where you were yesterday and today, they collide and they don't, you don't conform and they don't converge. Um, and also she talks about seeking constantly your own self-destruction. And my invitation to you is if you are not self-destructed intentionally, continuously, that it means that you're leaving a lot of your capacity to be truly a maker of industry and to be a rebellious leader in your role. And that's where I can come in. So for us to have a conversation about what what that would mean. That always impacts who you are solely, solely as much as how you function um, industrially and organizationally. So there's this twofold of changing the human also changes, um, the quality of servant leadership that they can prefer. So that would be, uh, my little spiel and, you know, my wrap up.
0: <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected with Cheslin, find out more about her work. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. They can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.